1: So we could have a missile launched in 15 minutes from getting a signal. So you get a signal when you're on patrols, and that firing signal comes from Prime Minister through the headquarters at Northwood, and then the missiles are launched, so within 15 minutes you can have Armageddon on your hands. Welcome back to the Andy Rowe Show. The HMS resolution was a nuclear submarine
2: that with the press of a button could unleash a nuclear arsenal more destructive than all the bombs dropped in World War II, including the two nuclear bombs dropped on Japan. Richard Humphreys is going to tell you what it was like living aboard the nuclear deterrent, spending months at a time underwater during the Cold War, ready to fire upon Moscow with just 15 minutes notice. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we start, a massive thank you to our sponsor this week, Suns, who helped make this show happen. The guys over at Suns are always looking out for ways to help you with your health, and they've done it again with their new Ultimate Immune Health Supplement. It includes all the key vitamins, minerals, and amino acids you need, like D, C, B, Zinc, but its special ingredient is the beta-glucan Wellmune clinically proven in 12 scientific trials so if you're already taking a multivitamin or are looking for something to strengthen your immune system then check out suns.co.uk and use the code andy30 to get a massive 30 quid off your first order and importantly by using our code you'll be supporting the podcast and the work we do it's holiday season and that means that there are stockings to be filled and this week's episode sponsor, Manscaped, has gone global with the tools to guarantee a very Merry Christmas. Manscaped is the leader in men's below the waist grooming and they've served more than 4 million men worldwide. That's almost 8 million bulls. Manscaped's best selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is at the top of every man's wish list this year. Small enough to fit in a stocking, big enough to change a man's life. Whether this is for you, your partner, dad, brother, friend, get them something that they will actually use and is almost guaranteed to get a laugh. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code ARS20 be the ballsiest gift-giver this year with Manscaped. Richard Humphreys, thank you very much for coming on the show. Pleasure. You were 18 when you decided to jump on board a nuclear submarine, but that wasn't actually your first choice of military option, was it?
1: No, I mean, I'd sort of been heavily influenced by this guy called Simon Murray who'd written a book called Legionnaire on the French Foreign Legion. I read it at school and I was like sort of hooked on it and I was just gone 17 didn't tell my parents and made it all the way down to Orban in in Marseille where the training center was at at that point they I think there's now one there's 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 a couple more rounds sort of towards Paris uh, nowadays but I made it down there and to join really and I I did a load of tests fitness tests mainly and Mm. they checked whether I'd like murdered anyone or I don't think it mattered. It, it it sort of does actually. There's there's this there's this sort of myth that you can just turn up, but you can't. You have to go yeah. through a whole load of like different processes and stuff. Yeah, and, um, I,
2: I thought that the French Foreign Legion was just full of criminals. Well, and... it,
1: I think it it, it it used to be in the, in. Oh, I mean, we're talking sort of roundabout the sort of the when the French were getting involved in sort of excursions into Algeria and all the rest of it. Post World War Two, it was it was a bit like that. I mean, well, this is th- over 30 years ago, but now yeah. it's, it's quite hard to get into because you get people joining from other sort of elite regiments in France and all the rest of it and other European um, right. forces who leave and then try to join the Legion and stuff, so it's a lot harder. So, yeah, I passed uh, I pass all the tests and that, and then this. I remember he was this sort of big, sort of tall English guy who was a, a, a corporal in the Parachute Regiment, which is part of their... Um, one of the regiments that makes up the, the legion. And he said, oh, yeah, it's fine, but we're going to need a letter of consent off your parents because you're no longer 18. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so it was like, that was oh, never going to happen. I mean, my mum and dad would have never... Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say they were sort of straight-laced or whatever, but, you know, they they. I don't think they want their, their kid marching off to <laughs> Algiers or whatever. So I, so, I, so I came back and I thought, oh, well, I'll sort of hang around and wait till you know, wait till I'm 18 and then just go go back and, and do it. But I was sort of... One thing led to another. I was, I, was, I was just getting bored, really. And then going back to my sort of holidays as a kid, I'd spent a lot of time in Devon. And when we were in Devon, we used to have this sort of daily trip around the warships. And this was the sort of... when It was sort of the zenith of the post-war Ro- Royal Navy, you know. There was about 30-odd submarines you know, the same amount of warships, if not more, two aircraft carriers and that. And most of them would be tied up near Plymouth. And we used to go every year and, and I was only I was sort of a young kid, but it sort of stayed with me really. And it was sort of like you'd see all these old sort of decrepit destroyers all rusting up on the mm. side. And then there's these be these sleek sort of black messengers of death who were <laughs> tied up in front of them and they, look, they just look really cool. And it was the sort of that really attracted me to it because it was a world that nobody knew much about and I sort of first heard about learning about it when the sort of Falklands War happened when there was that whole thing about HMS Conqueror the uh, nuclear-powered submarine that sank the General Belgrano and it was all a bit it was all very hush-hush and no one knew anything about it no one commented on submarine operations and There was a great movie around at that time as well, a German film called Das Boot, which is a fantastic submarine film. So that sort of got me hooked, really. My whole intention was when I joined the Navy was to go and do that, really. So I just did, I just volunteered for submarines from from then. My whole sort of aspect of joining was geared to sort of that aim of, Serving on subs, plus you got paid more. I'd found right. Oh, did you? Yeah, you got paid a lot more than you did, and it was quite a bit. It was like over a hundred, hundred fifty quid extra a month. You know, they called it special service pay, but it was really, yeah, danger money. Ba-
2: yeah, back in the back in the eighties, that's probably. Yeah, I mean that was
1: that was five nights for sure. You know, yeah. It's like you know, um, <laughs> and a house. Yeah, and a house. Yeah, and a car.
2: Did you did you have a choice because you were on hms resolution right yeah. um and we'll get to that point shortly but yeah. going into your training did you have a choice whether you were training to be on a nuclear deterrent or a what's the other one when they're actually a sub that's actually hunting
1: oh a hunter killer yeah and so there two, was, two there, was also, there was also there was also there was actually uh there was three only there was three separate boats then there was also a diesel diesel submarines which sort of did special ops with the special boat service, dropped them in and out of like different areas and and then did like sort of spy missions, you know, deep into the heart of like, mm. you know, the Barents Sea or whatever. No, you didn't get a choice. You were, you were drafted after you did your training. So I was, the training was basically you could serve in any of these three types of, mm. my preference, I think, would have been to be on one of the old diesel boats because they look, They were like really, really small. You know, you can still see. There's one down in um, the submarine museum, which dates from the Second World War, but it's not. It's not that different. You know, it's got like one deck all the way through. And I used to go down and watch the guys come off of that boat when I was at, because they were based in Portsmouth, where the submarine school was. Mm. They they had a sort of deathly pallor about them because they'd been away, and you know, and obviously they stunk. But I I couldn't couldn't get close (laughs) enough. But they all held themselves, though you know you know that you could tell that they that they knew what they were doing, they knew what they were about, and they sort of they laughed a bit, I think about nuclear submarines because we had it slightly easier in terms of conditions and that and there was there was a bit more room i mean, you know, the boat that I was on it was the biggest submarine of its day, but it was still like pretty pretty, yeah, we'll talk pokey pokey, trying to get you, but the diesel guys, it was like you know they just lived in one floor, right everything was on the same level, and that was. There were some good. There were some good guys, and you found out, particular officer level, all the captains of like nuclear deterrence and stuff. The captains that I'd all started off on diesel boats and made their sort of made their name, sort of doing these covert operations, and then moving on to a a hunter killer boat or whatever, and then it was the sort of, I guess, the sort of ultimate to, to then become like captain on the on the nuclear deterrent or whatever. That was a. It was always a sort of. A captain who'd been a captain before on a on a, on one of those submarines was now like was a captain on the you know HMS Resolution. Or whatever. They
2: earn their stripes, literally. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So exa- yeah. yeah, yeah. As far as your training goes, so you've got eleven weeks of theory. Yeah. Then you start doing some practical stuff. Yeah. One of the things that you, you did was the the escape tank. Yeah. Can you talk me through that situation? Because that sounds. I mean, <laughs> yeah. a lot of it sounds grim. What you had to go through. <laughs> this is this is the start of the. The grimness,
1: yeah, because it's like it's sort of the first thing that you do that is actually like, might what happened on an actual submarine, you know? Because all, it's all good and where all the other theory stuff has been, are oh, you looking at a screen or studying maps or looking at like various bits of kit and how they work and everything? But the actual submarine escape tank, that's pretty full on. So to end your qualification and then join a submarine, you have to do two. Free ascents from thirty feet, and then a free ascent from sixty feet, and then an ascent from a hundred feet, which is right at the bottom of the submarine. So when we're out. saying
2: ascent, we're saying you are under the water, that yeah. far underwater, and then you've got you've got to it, get it's out. It's replicating and
1: go up. if you if your submarine was in trouble, but you were still in shallow enough water, you'd be able to you be able to quickly escape. So it's you you're actually in water. So in the the two, the two thirty feet ascents, you're at the side there's a big submarine escape tank and then you're in another compartment. They then flood that compartment and equalise the pressure in your compartment to that so it's greater than the pressure in the tank and then this side door opens and then you're one by one ducked down and you've just got swimming trunks on and a life jacket and you have to sort of breathe out all the way because otherwise if you held your breath your lungs, your lungs are explode because you're at a depth. Oh, no and then you have to keep breathing out all the way up to the surface. You have to do that twice for 30 feet. There's another side to the tank at 60 feet, and they do exactly the same, and that that was probably the worst one because I remember the guy telling you, if you run out of breath, oh, don't worry if you run out of breath. You've still got 25% left of your lung capacity in there, and I'm like, yeah, all right. So it's like... So he, he, you duck me down, and then they make sure that you're breathing out all the way. They jab they jab into your rib cage as you're going up. Oh, who's, who's doing that? They have guys. The sub, there's called a submarine escape tank training team. Right. Who It's their job to put you through this, and they actually come down in a diving bell, so they've got a little bit of air at the top, and they swim out while everyone comes out to get you through it. And then the 100 feet one is really, it's fairly terrifying. Because you're in a you're in an actual submarine escape tank hatch that's replicated on board the submarine, so exactly the same as what you what's on the submarine. And you have to go into the tank. You've got a fully pressurized suit on, so you can breathe normally because you're putting your there's a stool on the end of your suit. You put it into an air valve, and it blows your suit up. You're fully like zipped up and everything, so right. you have your own air that you breathe. You put that in, then they start flooding the water up it's like 50 pounds per square inch of pressure on you, which is quite a lot. Some people, their ear drums burst because they can't equalize it. You have to equalize the pressure. Mm. You know, when you're in an airplane sometimes yeah. and you get that sort of... Mm, Man, I have to equalize yeah. the pressure I'm in the deep yeah. end of a swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, feet. exactly. So it's, it's like that. And then the hatch eventually opens and then the, the guys have come down in a diving bell all the way to 100 feet and they swim out. And they attach you. There's a big sort of pole that comes runs down the middle of it, and it's like it, it, at this point, it's sort of you don't know what what's going on. You just they ask your name, I think, and your service number, and then you shout that, and then they switch you on, and then you race up this thing, in about ten seconds, remembering to just to keep breathing so you you know your lungs don't get affected, and then you hit the surface. And then they take you out and put you to one side. You have a quick medical once over, and, and that's it. And a couple of people have actually died on that. And eventually, I bet they have. I'm thinking, yeah. that,
2: it it sounds pretty extreme. It's, <laughs> yeah,
1: because it, of pressure on it, and and they phased it out eventually in the 2000s, I think. So they don't, Nice of them, Yeah. They? So they don't do it anymore. But the <laughs> the worst thing was to requalify. You had to requalify for your dolphins badge every three years. You a dolphin's to, badge is what submariners yeah, have to say. Yeah, you have to go back down
2: and requalify. So, so when you've when you've gone through all that, they say, okay, you're going to be on HMS Resolution. Yeah, which is a nuclear deterrent. So yeah. it's fully loaded. We'll get into like what it's got, what it's armed with, shortly. But tell me about the first time you you laid eyes on HMS Resolution. It must have been. Yeah, a freaky just, looking sight.
1: Yeah, it was like a quiet evening, and oh, oh, I'll never forget it because it was a sort of evening thing. When we arrived at the base. There was about three or four of us who were joining at the same time. Everything on the the whole base is geared towards this thing on the jetty, and it was like we walked through, and it was it was totally silent. There was no there was no one doing any work on it. There was no machinery because it was quite late at night, and it was just standing there tied tied up at the side, and it was like. I'd seen some diesel boats and stuff at uh, first of all in in my initial training, but it was just like it was longer than a football pitch. It looked really small though, still because most of the boat is under the water. You only see a little bit of it mm. above the water and stuff. But it just looked, and it was just tied up, and it was just like standing there going, "Yeah, look at me. I can do this, that, and the other." And you could just tell it was just it was basically the ultimate war machine it was Britain's most powerful weapon at the time it was sort of fairly frightening actually Mm. and then only doubled by the fact of when we actually got on board you know so the first time I went on board it was like you know I nearly fell down the stairs when I initially went down then I had to go back on myself and go down another set of stairs I, I, I didn't put my head down and crack my head on a on a sort of overhanging ladder and stuff and then made my way down to the and had made my way all the way down to my sort of bunk where I was allocated mm. a bunk and stuff, and had a little bit of a sort of panic attack. I was like, "What the? F- what's this?" You know, I was getting used to the smell of it as well. It was so hot, and there was yeah. that claggy sort of heaty smell, and just people
2: could smoke on there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it was just basically stank, you know, and then you know, sort of farts, oil, heat, claggy. Just it's that sort of smell, and the. There's a smell from the chemical smell that they have from the CO2 absorption units, which makes a bit of a stink as well. So it was all like, and you could feel your clothes sticking to you after about 10 minutes of being Uh, down there. It was fairly, uh, fairly rank. There's a quote in your book where you
2: talk about the, the smell of the sleeping area. Yeah. I'll just read it for you. I'd first be hit by the overarching hum of human flesh in need of a 30 minute soak in a large soapy bath. Quickly followed by the secondary whiff of spunked in socks, shirts, and trousers hanging on pegs, mixed with a hint of
1: bad breath, sweaty balls, and ass. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's the, it paints a picture. Yeah,
1: it paints a picture. I mean, not not probably one you'd want to paint, but um that was generally the uh, the general sense of it. Was it it just as no nothing prepares you for it as well. It's just a hum that you just get used to but you sort of get used to it it's it's different if you're alongside when you first join because you can go up and get some fresh air or whatever Mm. but when you're at sea and it everybody smells though so you sort of get used to it because you smell as bad as the next guy because there's sort of limited time for washing and bathing you can't have aerosols because it affects the atmosphere you have to have like roll-on deodorant and stuff Right. Which is you, I always find roll on deodorant shit, I don't know about yourself, <laughs> yeah i'm I'm a roll on deodorant guy so but but, but i can,
2: maybe I can't smell it,
1: maybe I'm the smelly guy yeah <laughs> you you never say to a guy, oh you fucking stink because mm. it's like everybody, you just don't notice it I, what I do presume is when you get back of a patrol and we had these sort of v i p s coming on, they must have been like. What is that smell? Yeah, you had some big VIPs what? come oh, yeah, on. Board, yeah, didn't yeah, we used to we so we used to have them if they came on before or um the big ones usually came on before. So we had before like, you got smelly. Yeah. So we had the Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mum came down and I had to uh I was the quartermaster at the time, which is like they're sort of in charge of the external security. If you get a VIP on board, they you have to sort of open their car door or whatever and all the rest of it. So that I was being briefed by our coxswain, who's like the sort of... He's the sort of conduit between the officers and the men. He's the sort of senior NCO mm. who sort of runs everything. He was like, right, don't open the door until the car's at a complete stop. And I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> this car comes along, and then I I, I get to come and then get to open the door and then, then the car just fucking carries on so i'm like <laughs> i'm like i'm like running a, running alongside like the queen mom who's who, who's, who's just like who, she's not not looking at me at all just like who is this idiot and she's like staring out and just blanking me and i'm going like bright and it must have it must have been only for about 10 yards but it felt like you know 100 meters and then i stopped and opened it and she said oh thank you very much And then I looked up and I could see the coxswain who was like looking at me going, you idiot, like this sort of stuff. Thatcher came on board when she was Prime Minister. She'd been down before, I think, and it was her second... It was a second visit and I was just coming on watch as quartermaster because I kept watch on, a, on a, in a sort of big hut on the side of the jetty. So you, you had a list of people who could come on board. You right. checked everyone's list. And if the admiral of the fleet came down and wasn't on the list, he, he wasn't coming on board. You know, he'd have to stay and freeze his nuts off. Right. Until someone gave him permission to come on board or whatever. It's a nuclear uh, submarine. Yeah, 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 you you're not you know, you're not coming on. And uh, Thatch came on and so I was talking to my mate on the casing before I went out and he was um he was loading something through the forward escape hatch, but he couldn't he couldn't load it down because someone was in the we couldn't see, it was just some someone's shoulder, so he was like he screamed obscenities at this person to get out of the fucking way. And it looked, and it was Thatcher, and she looked up, and it was like, "Can I help you, gentlemen?" And it was like, "Fuck!" So we all sort of, <laughs> we all sort of ran off, and the coxswain came steaming up, and it was it was wanting to know. I just, I just uh, stood there and went, "Yeah, all right. And he said, "Have you seen anybody fucking about?" And I was like, "No, no." And he was like, and he he, he just went off, and he was uh, looking for the culprit, and, and it was
2: we, Thatcher. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh God. Yeah, but she was sort of all business. There wasn't much like. I don't know, empathy going on there. Being on board, like, cause
2: you would sometimes go off, like your, your, your tours would be like three months at a time, yeah. right? Yeah. And you, and you get, you get on board. Caustrophobia is something that obviously yeah. a lot of people would relate to a submarine. Yeah, Did people ever lose it when they're on board? And
1: Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a mate who I went through submarine training and then we got drafted to resolution and, before before you go on patrol, you go on a you go on what's called a workup, which is three weeks of intensive, like exercises. You know, like hunting other boats or submarines, and doing like fire and flood damage drills and everything. And there's a team that come on board and set tasks and everything. And we were about halfway through that, and Philip was his name—well, not his real name—but he, um, I was on watch in the control room, and then I heard this sort of awful kerfuffle at the front of the boat, and he was trying to open the hatch, he'd just flipped, he was trying to open the hatch and get off, but he couldn't, because they were, obviously it was bared down by all this water pressure, because mm. we were 200 feet down, so he was sort of hauled down, and sort of, I think there were a couple of like, a couple of kicks or clubs we used, which I thought was a bit over the top, but I, well no, because he was obviously in a desperate state, so the last yeah. thing he was going to do was start like fighting and flipping his lid, I thought, but um, yeah, so he was sort of roughed up a bit, which left... And, of course, I'd only just joined, so I couldn't say anything. You know, I was the sort of newbie, so I just had to keep my gob shut. But it was like... It was fairly hairy in terms of, like, what happened to him. About an hour later, what seemed like an hour later, it was probably two or three, he was gone. They'd ha- they'd got a helicopter over from God knows where. They'd flown out a helicopter to the, uh, to the North Atlantic and taken him off, straight off, never seen again. And, of course, there were no emails or whatever then, so I, I had no idea what happened to him. I never spoke – I never saw him again in the whole of my service.
2: All that time on board, like, what do you do to pass time and, and not become, like, so irritable that you get into fights and stuff? Like, well, what sort
1: of- I, I sort of read a lot. I, I, I sort of – well, I've always loved reading. I had a sort of career in books afterwards. So I read a lot. I did some, like, training and stuff. There was, a like, a cycling bike an exercise bike and a sort of an array machine in the missile compartment. So you're you're getting, you're cycling your way through. uh, It used to be in the uh, three deck in the missile compartment. There used to be a sort of cycling machine, but like everybody used to go on it. We had a guy who served with us. He was like, he was really, he was one of the first triathletes and stuff. So he did a sort of keep fit, keep fit class like twice a week. So we had that, we, we played movies and stuff. So, Mm. You know, there was a lot of that going on. We had, like, sort of latest Hollywood films. We'd have about 50 films that we'd show. There'd be a pull-down, an old-fashioned pull-down screen, you know, a cinema yeah, thing, yeah. and you'd you'd get this old double spool cinema reel, and we'd, we'd show. It was fantastic. We'd oh, nice. switch off all the lights, and then you couldn't have it, like, really loud, obviously, because of the, like, acoustic signatures it might be sending out through the through the hole or whatever but you we used to get like all the latest films and um porn oh, oh yeah yeah the porn the porn was on uh that was in the uh that would be in the ends in the torpedo compartment so yeah we had this guy who was like used to go to amsterdam and get all sorts of stuff so it was just like but after a while it's like come on man it's enough. It's just it's it's just it's just too much. After a while, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you can't put up with it for three months. It drive you insane.
2: You mentioned before
1: three deck. Yeah. Give a Give me a quick
2: sort of guided tour of the sub visually. Like, like how many decks are there? there are three. So there, 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 there are it?
1: three decks. Yeah. So the one deck is the control room, basically. Well, that's where the periscopes are. so That's where all the, the warfare hmm. team are. So the submarine goes to war from the control room. The captain commands the submarine from the control room. The submarine is, is, is steered. There are changes of depth. So the after planesman and the foreplanesman both are, are on one deck in the control room. Then there's the navigation centre, which tells us where we are, but you're not allowed in there because only two or three people knew exactly where we were at any time. Then going forward of that, you'd have the sort of electronic warfare office, the sonar room which is the eyes and ears of the submarine and then the radio shack where we'd get all signals coming in we'd only ever receive stuff we'd only ever listen to stuff we'd never transmit stuff because that gives away your position so we could only do it in an extreme emergency so that's basically everything on one deck and then right at the front you'd have a a a very cool room which where all the sonar machinery was which was like You know, all the computers that drove the, the, that looked after the sonars to make sure that they worked. And then going down to two deck, you'd have right at the front would be where the tigerfish torpedoes were. And then coming back, you'd have uh, where people lived, basically. So you'd have the, uh, not lived, but ate. So you'd have the junior eights mess and the galley there. Food was pretty good, eh? Yeah, the food was great. Yeah, the food, I mean, the chefs were just out of this world, you know. I mean, they're operating in a, I'd say not even as big as this half of this this room, you know. They, so maybe
2: two, three, three metres by three metres? Yeah, meters.
1: three meals a day for 143 boats for
2: three months. And the crazy thing about that is the, the prep that goes not into just cooking the food, but getting the food on board. Yeah. Because the amount of food... That you could get on there could feed a family for five years. A family of four for five years. Yeah, a
1: family of four for about five years. And then plus you've got all the booze. Yeah, plus you've got all the booze. And then it's just like, but it it all gets stowed away because there's there's various, there's a massive freezing compartment which is under the which is under where we ate yeah. um, and then there's the galley where they do all the cooking and then there was the senior rates mess and then working back you'd have the wardroom and the coxswain's office with the two main bits other bits on two deck and then three deck was where everywhere uh, where we all lived so the, the accommodation the junior rates senior rates there'd be a laundry in there where we get our clothes washed he used to come back smellier than we left him in but yeah and then right at the other end of three deck there was like the missile compartment where they actually sit and launch the actual trigger for it and then underneath underneath three so outside where we slept we i was in nine berth um which was ams one where there's sort of hydraulic pumps and bilge pumps and that's sort of everything forward of the missile compartment then you come out of the, uh, where, the, where the WIO fired his trigger, you, you walk out and then you go back on yourself uh, uh, up the ladders. Just before you get to the missile compartment is the captain's compartment on the right and where all the officers live. So the captain's the only person who has his own compartment Fair and enough. he just sits in there and you, you sort of have to knock, basically. Worst thing was going to wake him up. Like If you had to go and wake him up at six because we were going to periscope depth or whatever and he was like, Time to get up sir. fuck off. Yeah. So it's, like, <laughs> so it's like And then you go round to the wardroom and stuff and then they all sat there and had dinner, silver service, which always used to amaze me. Why the fuck you'd want you'd want to be weighted on hand and foot when you're three hundred feet under the North Atlantic, why it mattered, God only knows. But um I guess that was the uh, the sort of military hierarchy. So that, all the officers got, yeah, yeah, instead. they they got. The, who were, the, were the waiters? Were the waiters yeah, brought the, on there the, to be steward, waiters? Yeah, yeah, they were. Stu- they were called stewards. Why they wanted to do it, God only knows. But they also had like two jobs. So they'd be a steward serving the meals or whatever, and then they'd be up steering the boat as well. That's so they did like two separate things. Same with the same with the chefs. You'd get a couple of chefs. who would be foreplanes and afterplanesmen as well. Uh, so so to qualify as a submariner, you have to obviously know your own job really well, but you have to know little bits of other people's jobs in case right. something goes wrong. I don't know, a, a, a pipe bursts or something next to you. You have yeah. to be able to know the valve to isolate that so the oil doesn't keep pissing out or say if it's an air burst or it's a fire, you need to know. Where the extinguishers are, or whatever, to deal with it, and what you can't and can't cannot do, if you have a fire in your house, you just throw water at it, don't you all the time? But if you do that on a submarine, you can sort of muck up all the other electrics and stuff, and then you can have then a made, you're in big yeah trouble. then you're in big trouble, you know, and things can get out of hand yeah. very, very quickly. What was your job on yeah. so I was a tactical system, so I was part of the warfare team. I worked mainly in the control room, which was like any any ship contacts or underwater contacts. That the sound room had were passed through to us, and we basically evaluated them for like range, course, and speed. So it could be like monitored, or on the day of the race, is fired upon. So we'd come up with solutions. So you would hear if another
2: sub was in range, or
1: another you 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 would hear that? No, we we wouldn't hear it. We'd hear we'd the sound room, the sonar guys would hear it, and then they pass it on to pass the information through with the bearing, and then we'd plot. We'd plot its range, course, and speed. We did have a submarine that screamed over the top of us once. That that was terrifying. But, did uh, you hear it? Did, did, yeah, hear it? yeah. It literally.
2: And you weren't in the sound room. You could just hear it.
1: You could hear it. Yeah, you could hear it. Was it, it it's one of so, your subs or what? what? Uh, we think it was a French one. It tends to be the French. I don't know why they go, <laughs> they go, they go off piste and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Sort of screamed over the top of us, but it was a good sort of, I guess, fifty feet above us. What did you guys do? Stayed it, stayed, it stayed where we were, stayed where we were. Yeah, and it and it fast as it came, it disappeared. But we all thought we'd been detected. But this captain was like, no, it's going far too fast for them to get. A, all they could hear was their own, you know, propellers and stuff. So getting back to the layout of the boat, so then you go back to the to the missile compartment, then through a bulkhead. And that was three decks, and then we had 16 Polaris missiles on there. Polaris Um, missiles, are they nukes? Nuclear missiles, yeah. Um, So we had 16 of those, and they had had all the explosive power of all the bombs dropped in the Second World War, including the two. Combined? Mm. Yeah.
2: So all the bombs dropped in the Second
1: World War, including the
2: two on Japan, the nuclear bombs, you had that firepower on your submarine? Yeah. Fucking hell.
1: Yeah, that was a, that was an eye opener. There's three decks and it's just it's very cool and sort of silent. No one sort of goes in there unless you're doing exercises.
2: Unless you want to want to have a go on a rowing machine.
1: Uh, yeah, but obviously they're peop they, the, the the guys who keep watch there, they kept watch on two deck. If you go in, turn left and then right, there's a little console there, which is obviously roped off and you couldn't go in there. If you did go in there, you'd probably get clubbed around the head with a big baton Mm. that was used then going through the missile compartments you get to ams2 which is where all the sort of air purifying equipment and co2 absorption units and where yeah
2: how does it make oxygen because you could be underwater for you can be underwater for three months right
1: yeah so it's ele- electrolysis so as an electrical it's it's a thing called electrolysis so the wa- water comes in seawater it's purified and then electrical charge is sent through it and it separates it into its two two component parts hydrogen and oxygen the hydrogen is then liquefied and pumped overboard and the oxygen just goes around the boat and it's a constant constant process of doing that you have to watch watch the co2 levels as well you have to make sure they're below a certain figure otherwise it's a, obviously a life threatening so just day-to-day life existence is is life threatening unless it's unless those life support in coal mines, they have a budgie, and if the budgie dies, <laughs> yeah. they yeah. know the levels yeah. are too low. Yeah, we, yeah a well, we could, have had a, we, could, we could have had a newbie and just stuck him there and <laughs> say, right, if you're not breathing in an hour, we'll know there's something wrong Because
2: if the oxygen levels start getting too low, you're just going to start falling asleep. Right? yeah. Yeah. You're not going to actually be like, oh, God, I'm feeling yeah. a bit loud on oxygen. Yeah,
1: so it, but it's kept, you know, it's kept, I mean, there's a whole team of world-class sort of marine engineering mechanics who work back in that space. They're on top of it. Yeah, who 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 are in charge of that and the sort of nuclear reactor. So, yeah, so all of AMS2 is all the sort of life support type stuff is kept there. And then you're faced with the, with the tunnel to either end, two doors. And that is sort of the reactor compartment, but it's not the reactor; it's just a tunnel over the reactor department. So you have to go through that to get to the manoeuvring room, which is in MS three, which is where they looked after the uh, basically. A sm- it was like running a small nuclear power station. Six guys headed up by the the marine the MEO, who was a lieutenant commander, the marine engineering officer, who's mm-hmm. sort of in charge of all all of that, and the There'd be two or three nuclear chiefs of the watch who'd be like chief petty officer who'd done who'd who'd done like a lot of like nuclear training, yeah, and been highly qualified and usually been doing it for about ten to fifteen years. You're I mean, going to need someone like that on a nuclear sub. I remember seeing the tunnel for the first time and not knowing whether I should open the door or wait for someone to, because nobody had sort of told me. But it's like a hydraulic door and you open it. And then you close it, and then you go through. So the two doors are never open at the same time. Then you walk through, and then you just open the open the other door. But you're sort of walking on top of the nuclear reactor, which is a bit. Um, Do you
2: even worried about radiation or anything? Not like
1: really, because it's like it's so it's so well controlled. Massive amount of lead shielding to 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 stop any sort of radiation. And the way the the way that the reactor works, you have rods that you can put in that can either make it. There's either less heat or more heat, so it's it's very much it's very much controlled. And it's like it's basically like an old. It's basically like a steam engine, but instead yeah. of coal, instead of coal, you've got uranium three five two or whatever it is <laughs> to 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 heat up to make the steam that drives all the life services that drives all the electrics. And powers the propeller. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing, really.
2: Yeah, it's quite simple, a little bit. Yeah.
1: Like, they have Like So you've got these rods that make the
2: water yeah. hot. The, yeah. the, the water then creates steam. Yeah. The steam then drives turbines. Yeah. Is
1: it quite quiet? Yeah, very quiet. And the actual... The actual size of the reactor is probably about the size of an old wheelie bin, you know. Ah. Yeah, but it kicks out a temperature. It's like sort of about five hundred, about four eighty to five hundred eighty degrees
2: Fahrenheit. How far could the sub go? Yeah, if it was like we're diving down, we're going from A
1: to B. You could go around the world. How many times? As long until you were all until you were all dead of starvation. <laughs>
2: Oh, so this thing can yeah. go for as long as you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, we had to. I think we had to refuel the act reactor every twenty years. I think. I mean, don't quote me on that. That might not be, a but around bit, a about that, I think. So nuclear power is almost better for the oh, environment, yeah. right? In a well, way. there is there is that if it's looked after, if it's looked after correctly, but of course you have these incidents like you've obviously Chernobyl and yeah, when it goes just, bad, it goes horribly yeah. bad. Yeah, mm. we probably wouldn't have exploded. We probably would have melted. I think if it if the, the ass would have just dropped out of the, you know, it would have just yeah. melted through the boat because it would have overheated or whatever. But going back to the the training, well, it's not sort of the training, but
2: the crew training situation. Where you guys would do war games, right? So you'd yeah. have, you'd be involved in stalking your own ships, kind of. Yeah, Can talk me through th- th- that situation because that's quite. Full on, quite, f- almost quite fun.
1: Yeah, well, it was quite fun, especially for us because our patrols were obviously hiding away di- di- in the, in the deep, you know, and we we wouldn't we wouldn't get a chance to do it. But you know, it'd be like off the Isle of Arran or what have you, and you have two or three destroyers bearing down on us, and we'd have to we'd have to try and sink them, and you know, keep out of their way, or we'd get helicopters looking for us, dipping in sonar boys into the. Into the sea, trying to locate us as well. So we'd be hiding from them. We'd do dummy attacks on on warships. Yeah, it, it, it was great. And we do this for about a week. That was the uh, that that was the best bit about workup. I think was actually because that that was very much what my job was as well. So I'd be doing stuff on the. I was like periscope assistant to the captain, and basically you can. He looks through the periscope, and then says the bearings of various things and I had a sort of you have a three sixty slide rule which you can try and work out the range with the angle on the bow and the speed that it's doing and that was pretty cool. So you could you could do stuff like that and yeah it was really was fun and it got us away from that sort of dredgery oh my God we're going on a three month patrol soon so it was sort of I'm sure they did it to cheer us up before the before the shit sandwich of the uh, uh, of the of,
2: of the patrol coming up. Mentally like a three month patrol you're underwater most of the time aren't
1: you all the time you have to transit to your patrol area so you you'd, you'd leave as lane and you'd you'd end up on the sort of north atlantic off the irish off the, off the irish coast you transit out there and that'd be it you dive and gone yeah uh, so the longest patrol i did i we dived in may and then our next saw daylight at the end of august
2: shit you could go down in the winter and come up in the summer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Did you ever stop and did the sub ever just pull up and go, lads, go for a swim?
1: Yeah, we did. If but that we all like that was after work up and before we went on patrol. That right. wouldn't be anything to do with the patrol cycle. That before we were so after workup we used to. Um,
2: What's workup? Is that the, uh, you know
1: the, the the testing when we're tested right. by the you know the fire and the floods and all of that yeah. sort of stuff, and you have to go through the paces, of yeah. uh, firing missiles and torpedoes and and the war games I talked about earlier. So right. after that we might we might rock up at like there was a the Karlsalokalsch was which is one of the most spectacular and beautiful places in the whole of the whole of Great Britain, I think. We, we we had a hands to bathe there once, so we um, and it's a big old torpedo range that they've used since the Second World War. So we we went swimming there, and, and thank God it was at the height of um, summer as well. Mm. So were, that 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 was pretty cool. Talk me
2: through the process of diving and resurfacing, because that it, it must have been a bit of fun like when the. Is a sub making those noise, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: it yeah, you know, so the main vents open and the and the water like gushes in and gushes uh, somewhere? into the ballast tanks. Okay. And then they fill oh, okay. up and then you to create sort of negative buoyancy and then you drop. And then once you're once you're sort of going down and stuff, you have like trim tanks which which pump water either forward or aft, so you so you get to sort of neutral buoyancy, so you get your depth correct. And then it's just – and then on patrol, you have to constantly do that because the weight of the submarine – the weight of the submarine goes down because the more you're eating food and all the rest of it, you don't really mm. notice it. But And then you need to – so there's a, it's a constant thing of of pumping water to different tanks to make sure that the submarine is kept on an even sort of keel, as it were, because you don't mm. want it like that or like this. You no. just want it – you just have to keep it. And, and that's very hard to do, and it takes a lot of experience to get the – it's called – it's called getting the trim, getting the trim correctly, and getting right. that buoyancy correct.
2: When you're going down, or with, when you're going up, is yeah. it? Do you feel it like like you would on? Is it like on an airplane? Yeah, kind of situation? yeah, you it's very it. much
1: it's it's very much like flying a plane. And when um, you come
2: when you come up and you your surface, you're like, no, it's
1: like, quite yeah. it's quite slow. It's it, it's quite slow. We did do an emergency surface procedure in part yeah. of the work up there where you come flying out of the. Case something's wrong, and you have to really get to the surface really quick. If there's an emergency, or there's a flood, or there's a fire that's gone out of control, you might have to surface really quickly. Going back to the
2: nukes, yeah, people just love hear, love hearing about. It. This is the fascinating part. Well, I mean, it's all fascinating. Don't get me wrong, but this <laughs> is the bit where it's like you could end the world with a flick of a switch. Yeah, how often did you practice firing the nukes, and how like how quickly? Could the the nukes be fired? You get the order. What's the process? F-
1: fifteen minutes. So we could have a missile. We could have a miss. We could have the nu- the missiles launched in fifteen minutes from getting a signal. So you get a signal when you're on patrol. Say we're on patrol. You get like a weapons readiness test exercise. It's called, and that firing signal comes from Prime Minister through the headquarters at Northwood um, in L- in London. And then you're brought to a state of readiness, and then a signal sent through, and then two of the officers go and uh, make sure this, the signal's all authentic. And then within 15 minutes, you can have the missile, you come to a you come to a set depth, and the submarine can hover. So you have a hover pump, you can let water in and out, so it has to be sort of stationary and slightly tilted. And then the missiles are launched, well, exercised, they're not actually launched, but Right. You go through the exercise of of, of of launching them, so within fifteen minutes you can have Armageddon on your hands. Shit, the yeah. the missiles, would they?
2: So I've got I've got I've got this visual of the sub, this like long sort of barrel. Underwater, mm. and then the missiles—they come out and they fire from a wing, or they fire from the sub, or this—if the missile like, where do the do the missiles go straight up in the air and yeah. around, or do they go? Yeah, go no,
1: no, out? they go straight up in the air, so they are sort of rammed out of the boat. A sort of water ram is is like they're fired, they're fired out, and then as soon as it breaks the surface, there's like first stage rocket motor ignition, so that sort of kicks in the sort of actual element of the. The rocket of the rocket firing it, and then it just goes straight up, straight up into the air, into space, into the atmosphere. Oh, wow! And then comes back down and then sends multiple warheads across.
2: So, you're not just firing one rocket, or you're firing one big rocket, and then there's warheads that go off that rocket.
1: So, it used to be just one rocket, and then they changed in 1982, the system was changed to. A call a Cheveline warhead, so it was multiple warheads. So if you were like, I don't know, firing it on Moscow, for example, which would for have example, been, yeah. which would have been a target, definitely. So it comes through it comes through into the atmosphere and then at a certain altitude it'd drop multiple decoys and but within those would be the actual warhead that would go off to make it harder for the Soviets to detect it and the soviets
2: were always looking for oh yeah
1: absolutely that's all they did was like running these hunter killer boats about the place looking for us and looking for other looking for other soviet union uh, looking for other submarines but our royal navy hunter killer force who were sort of fantastic they sort of used to head them off or go and have set twos with them under the water and stuff to cheap to harry him away from where we were trying to go and stuff so
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role
2: Was there ever a moment where you thought we're going to have to fire the nukes or, or not necessarily a, you went through the drill and like shit this is happening but like was there ever moments where in your head you're thinking... This is real. This is, I'm, we, this boat might not really,
1: really because the amount of times we practiced it, I suppose it became sort of, if anything, a bit of a, oh God, not another drill. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So I suppose they tried to do that. So if you actually had to do it, then it'd just be like going through the motions and stuff. But I was one of the people who just, I don't know, I guess I thought it'd never happen, I suppose. I just think it'd be sort of ritual suicide if we were. Launching nuclear weapons because that would mean that something had gone drastically wrong already.
2: And yeah, because you guys would never fire first. No, be that. we
1: were we were always a we'd be a, a repose to any attack. So if we were launching our missiles anyway, for example, you'd have to presume that most of the UK had already been wiped out because we'd be launching a second strike. Yeah. So the Russians would have already attacked somewhere. The you've got to think that the Americans would have attacked already. So by the time we got involved, it would have been, you know, and of course it's different geographically for the for the nuclear states because America and Russia are so big countries that you're going to need quite a few quite a few missiles to obliterate them. Whereas us and the French, who are very smaller geographically, we're in a much more vulnerable position because it only probably take a two or three to put us out of a out of action for good because we're so much smaller mm. than. So much smaller than the Soviet Union and, and the USA. So we're at a disadvantage right from the get-go, you see, if you're on the receiving end. It's much easier to wipe the UK and France out than it is to wipe out America and or us attacking the Russians. Exactly. And plus we'd know about it anyway because, you know, there's no way that even in the Cold War, there's no way that we'd just... A nuclear war would start from that... It's not going to start from that. There would obviously been major land war going on across Germany and all the rest of it. So we would have known that was. So we would already have been at war probably beforehand. So you've got to know that That something's drastically wrong. It's like all these politicians who gabble on about, oh, we'd use nuclear weapons. Yeah, but we'd only ever use them in, as a second strike. They just think that we're going to... You know, the navy's gonna go down and we're gonna launch nuclear weapons at here, there, and everyone, which is just ridiculous. It's only every it's a deterrent because it's only used as a deterrent. And it obviously yeah. works because we have we've been nowhere near nuclear war since since the continuous at sea yeah. deterrents. So the whole
2: purpose of it is to say, if you guys Yeah, if you did ever do
1: it, if you did ever do it, then that would be it. We will
2: nuke you back. Yeah,
1: and then you have to assume that they're clever enough... Not to do that. (laughs) Not to do it, because, you know, the Russians themselves had been through, God knows, you know, two world wars, lost millions of people. Haven't got an appetite for that. Yeah, Stalin had killed millions. I mean, you've got to think, well, it's just not worth it.
2: What would you have done? Do you know what you would have? You had any plan about what you would have done if, if you, after you'd nuked them, after you'd sent the missiles off? Because you're Good.
1: not, you not think sending
2: I th- off your missiles and going back to London. That we're going. No, back I mean we would
1: we would have been on a we would have been on a massive evade operation, you, I guess.
2: Yeah, because you've sent your nukes up, knowing yeah. that your home's destroyed. Yeah, you just destroyed Russia. Yeah. some of it.
1: We would have been picked up anyway on a satellite or whatever launching because oh, you would have, yeah and they had the Russians had nuclear depth bombs at this point
2: bombs that drop in the water yeah go off yeah and yeah, yeah. Oh.
1: we probably wouldn't have survived very long but it would have been nice to have um, gone to know. the Maldives or something yeah yeah well yeah well there's a, there's a bit in there because we have the letters of last resort yeah tell me yeah. What, tell me what the letters so of last resort they're letters from the Prime Minister which tells the captain of the nuclear deterrent what to do in the event of Britain being out of action. So So, it's
2: it's actually an envelope that sits in a safe in the submarine. In the submarine, only
1: only to be opened in the event of, you know, catastrophe or whatever. So in case
2: the British Prime Minister and the Parliament's all wiped out, you open that letter and that tells you what to do in that case. Yeah,
1: well, nobody knows, but what they think it is is... Run, Run, yeah, go to a neutral country or whatever, see if you can hide out, put yourself in the, under the command of another country like the United States or whatever, launch the missiles or captain's discretion to do what he wants to do. So it's a big responsibility. Hopefully it would have taken us to the um, Maldives for a quick week's holiday before we got wiped out. Eh? Yeah. Uh, so I would have thought, oh, you, do, you, don't, you don't know. You don't know what had happened, but... All I'm saying is by the time we'd launched... If we'd launched our nuclear weapons, then you know that the country was in a... Hell of a state. Oh, it, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everyone dead. Can't do anything. Hell nuclear fallout all over the place. The, most of Europe destroyed, probably.
2: There's an element of you thinking that this might not... Happening was probably just drills all the time. Yeah, but you were actually thinking Shit, we are going to do something. Yeah, we're, we're out there. Yeah, for a real. Yeah, surface. no,
1: exactly. And, and the bottom line is, you're out. You're out there, and you might actually do it. I never thought we would personally, but there were some people who did, and it's a scary thought to deal with, really. Mm. But that's the sort of role of the nuclear deterrent, I guess is is for it to deter. But if it doesn't, then yeah. <laughs>
2: systems go All
1: systems go but you've got to think whether it whether it would have been worth it i guess mm,
2: yeah if 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 london gets bombed you're gonna you're gonna throw them up there and and, and get and get russia but then it's almost some there's another side of it yeah and there's that self important. there's that
1: self-preservation element as well if we just sauntered about the place having not fired our missiles doing like three or four knots so like walking pace underwater underwater so we were very very hard to detect well impossible to detect well we never we we never got detected
2: how fast could you go like it's faster underwater than yeah 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 we could do
1: about 25 30 knots okay but it's like we just rolled around at three or four knots because passive sonar works better at lower speeds yeah so when you're listening to things passively it works better the sonar works better the slower the speed you are and of course the slower the speed you are the the less noise the propeller and the machinery and all the rest of it are making as well
2: how deep were you usually when you if you were like okay let's go how yeah. deep would you be
1: i can't tell you that
2: <laughs> i was trying to lead into the fishing nets.
1: <laughs> oh yeah okay um, yeah so, no so so i i don't know like uh, as a ballpark figure let's say th- 300 feet
2: did you ever catch fishing nets
1: yeah well we or fishing boats fishing boats well, there was a for a few hours maybe even a day we kept changing course and the fishing boat was changing course as well i think we've got a we have our underwater wire that we hang out the back of the boat are caught onto one of their nets but luckily their skipper had noticed and hacked his fishing nets with it before it got out of hand but there was a earlier incident one of the submarines brought down a fishing boat off of um near aberdeen i think shit yeah which was sort of a tragic tragic state of affairs yeah but yeah so there's always that and it it used to be like a nightmare if you're out in fishing zones or whatever and it's a it's a sort of captain's nightmare when you've got a submarine in and amongst fishing boats because you have to be very wary of Mm. of where their nets are and all the rest of it so it's it's best avoided if possible
2: talk me through the last sort of day you know you're what what was it like when you finally you're coming home? Yeah, you've been out there for three months. Yeah, uh, and you're coming home. You're you're about to surface, knowing that this when you surface now, you're gonna be offshore and you're gonna yeah. get some vitamin D. <laughs> and
1: you're
2: gonna be able to walk around without watching your head getting yeah. knocked on a belt, on a on a pipe or whatever.
1: No, it's great. It was, there's part of you that didn't want to go back. I oh, know that seems weird, but you'd all been down That's there. That's yeah. weird, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> part of you had been down there for like three months and it's like you'd made such sort of close sort of bonds or whatever. It was sometimes, you, especially when VIPs came down, you got, you got thought that they were like, I don't know, invading your privacy or whatever. But then mm. once you got aboard, once you come alongside and got some... Fresh air into you know it was fantastic and then we just used to go out and get absolutely blitzed down <laughs> in there used to be a few pubs in Helensborough which was the closest town to where we like were based yeah and we used we yeah it was it it was not it was not it was not a pretty sight probably no but,
2: a bit a bit oh, but you guys got booze on.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, but it was like it's different though when you go into a pub and that, and you can There's actually females, here, yeah, bro, exactly. It's people and that you know, don't smell like fast. Yeah, again, and- yeah, it, it, it was great, and you could just go out and sort of enjoy yourself and not feel like pressured and stuff. And then, yeah, but we, yeah, it, it, there was some sort of mon- there was some monstrous drinking occurred usually, a bit, a bit, but um, no, no one died. That was the main thing, and we we were never like. Sailors we were never, can drink. Yeah, something. but we were never we were never fighty either. There was there was hardly any ever ag. I I don't remember aggro at all because we were too like matey. And then there was, there was a, a, only sort of un, other submarine crews who were out drinking really, and they they were they weren't going to bother us and stuff. Mm. So it was just like, yeah, so you can have a real good time, just get hammered, and then um, hopefully get some action at the end <laughs> of the night. But you know, or you'd come home and. Uh, you know wake up in a nice soft bed. <laughs> yeah yeah so no it was fantastic it was such an experience to go through but then like the first the first week or so was 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 great and then we used to go off on holiday or whatever go to ibiza or canaries or whatever and just get get into it a bit more
2: i bet you did yeah, I bet you did. yeah good places to party yeah I could, yeah
1: I no, ibiza, of... no, ibiza was just starting then so it was like it was like really good and 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 like the canary islands and stuff was a sort of was a really good place and that so it, it, it was just it was just a release really and yeah no no one got arrested <laughs> <laughs> so. brilliant yeah no it was fun it's good
2: thank you very much for coming on the show
1: Thanks for having me, it was great. No
2: worries, no worries. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, If you want to read Richard's book, it's called Under Pressure, very entertaining read. I I didn't know what I was getting myself into reading a book on submarines, but there's a lot more to to learn and a lot more entertaining stories on there if you want to get in in touch with that. It's called Under Pressure. And if you like this interview, your reviews and your ratings make a massive difference to us. So get stuck in and we'll be back again next week.